Hey, welcome to the Beginner Photography Podcast. I'm your host, Raymond Hatfield, and today we are hearing from 12 professional photographers who share their favorite piece of gear and why. So let's go ahead and get into it. What do you say? Uh, like I said earlier, I'm your host, Raymond Hatfield, and uh, these end of the year episodes are some of my favorites because um, I get to try something new. You know, it's not just a, a conversation, which I do love conversations, but it's going a little bit beyond that. Um, having these conversations throughout the year and then editing them and publishing them at the end of the year gives me kind of time to reflect on what it is that they said and see if, you know, I uh, can add anything to to that. So oftentimes a photographer will mention something to me, maybe I'll go out and try it um, or look into it. And then I'll have some additional thoughts that I can share with you uh, from my own personal experience. So uh, today, like I said, we're talking all about gear. And again, that's not something that we talk a lot about here on the podcast, because I said before many times that the that gear doesn't matter. So why would I ask photographers what their favorite piece of gear is? And the answer is, well, because gear does kind of matter. Gear, gear matters. You know, gear matters. I say that gear doesn't matter um, in the hopes that you can hear that and say to yourself, you know what, what I have uh, is going to work for me right now. I'm not going to stop shooting because I don't have a piece of gear. Uh, as somebody who has shot with a, you know, $2,000 Canon 85mm uh, 1.2 lens and the $300 Canon 85mm 1.8 lens, uh, I can tell you the difference is not as big as you would think if you don't need it for a very specific purpose. So um, when it comes to gear, I have often found that um, uh, even in my own wedding photography, just uh, not too long ago, uh, when I had switched to Fuji, I had bought the 56 1.2. I had bought the uh, 23mm 1.4, which these would be like their, um, you know, top series lenses for, for these Fuji cameras. And I thought, if I'm going to have a smaller sensor, then I definitely want to have a larger aperture to, uh, you know, make the uh, transition from full frame back to crop sensor, not as noticeable. But over time, what I realized is that um, it's really not that big of a deal. And in fact, I ended up selling those lenses, not because they weren't good. They were good. They were great. And in fact, the 23 millimeter 1.4 lens from Fuji is probably one of my favorite lenses of all time. I sold them for the uh, F 2.0 versions. And again, the reason is not because they were not good. They were good, but because it helped me achieve something that I wanted in my photography. So I'm going to talk about that more uh, towards the end of the episode and how to help you determine whether or not you actually need a piece of gear or if you just want a piece of gear and maybe you should hold off on it. <laughs> so uh, with that, let's go ahead and uh, start hearing from these 12 photographers on what their favorite piece of gear is. Now, we cover the whole gambit here. We cover, you know, just uh, like accessories to uh, very, you know, important parts of a camera kit, but then also some things that you actually can't buy in a store. So with that said, everything that is mentioned in this episode that you can purchase, <laughs> 
I will have links to in the uh, in the show notes uh, of this episode. So if you're interested in looking into it more uh, and you want to hear more about it, then go ahead and, and check out the show notes of this episode. Whatever your podcast player you're in, you can just swipe up and you'll you'll see the show notes there and uh, check out the link uh, to Amazon if you do want to check it out and purchase it. So with that, let's go ahead and get started with commercial and wedding and headshot photographer Doss Miller. Aside from my camera, what is my favorite piece of gear? Uh, you know what? You know what it is? Um, it's it's my spider holster belt harness. That thing was a flipping life changer <laughs> to to get to be able to maneuver and move equipment and do all the things I need to do. Have my camera out of my hand, but still secure and and not on my shoulders. Because I had back issues and all the things. That's probably my favorite. So to explain a little bit about what a spider holster is, um, I know that the uh, that the Blooms, Philip and Eileen also love their spider holsters as well. It's essentially a belt that you can put on uh, while you're shooting. And rather than setting your camera down when you're not holding it or have a strap and put it on your shoulder, you clip it into a harness in on your belt. And I had... I had one for, I probably went through two full wedding seasons with a spider holster. And I got to say, it was great for a number of reasons. One, super secure. I was honestly shocked at how easily you could just take the camera without even looking, uh, slide it into the, uh, you know, the, the mechanism, and then it's locked. It's not going anywhere. You could run and the camera isn't going to, you know, come out and fall on the ground. Uh, and this is great, especially at weddings where maybe you need to set the camera down and, and fluff the dress in a certain way or, uh, you know, move, uh, I don't know, a table real quick to, to get a different composition on something. Um, you know, th these things just kind of happen. Uh, and not having your camera on your shoulder means that you can bend down and not have the camera swing and hit you right in the face. Believe me, I've done it before. It is not uh, that fun. So, if you're not a fan of the camera strap that goes around your shoulder or your neck and you're looking for something to let you, you know, use your hands, put your camera down and use your hands without putting it on the ground, check out the spider holster. Um, like I said, the uh, I will have a link to the spider holster in the show notes of this episode. Next, let's go ahead and hear from family photographer Melissa Miller. My favorite piece of gear that is not my camera is probably a little, I don't even know what it's called. It hooks in the top of my camera and it holds my phone so I can take behind the scenes footage while I'm doing a session. So I'll put my phone in there. I get permission from families, of course, turn on the video. And then I basically record the whole session. Um, and then I use that in my education materials or in behind the scenes blips on Instagram or to show families really sweet moments in video format. I love that guy. If photography is a service, then this just helps you provide a better service. Uh, I had never really thought about mounting a camera or uh, not, not a camera, a, uh, a phone to the top of my camera to be able to record some behind the scenes stuff. I had uh, I've mounted a GoPro many a times to the top of my camera to, in essence, you know, kind of do the same thing, but never the phone, the phone. I think, uh, in a way, would make it a little bit more easier, um, especially to share the video, uh, like Melissa does with uh, with the parents of 
the families that she's uh, photographing. And how cool would that be, you know, to, to just have the sweet little moment of your kids, you know, hugging or embracing or doing something fun and interesting while at a uh, photo shoot and also let that footage do double duty if you do wish to share it on social. You know, it uh, it doesn't hurt <laughs> to have knowledge of video and how it works and how you can share it uh, these days on uh, social. Uh, it's a great way to provide proof and, like I said, give a little bit of that uh, behind-the-scenes look at uh, what it is that you do. So that is a great, great idea. And uh, once again, I'll have the link to a phone holder. I don't have the exact model because uh, she didn't mention it, but I'll have one uh, in the in the show notes of this episode. And it's way cheaper than buying a GoPro and doing it. So <laughs> it's a uh, it's a it's an easier way to get started doing this. So next up, uh, this is going to be our first element that you're not going to be able to purchase afterwards. Let's hear from Megan DePiro. My favorite piece of gear is I don't care because I really don't care what gear I have. I'm not a gearhead. I could shoot with my iPhone. I could shoot with a DSLR. I could shoot with any lens you give me because at the end of the day, it really comes down to how am I interfacing with the person in front of me and bringing out their best. And the gear choice doesn't matter near as much as the human connection that we have. This is the exact thing that I had been uh, trying to say. You know, when I say that gear doesn't matter is that you can create a great image with literally any piece of kit that you have, any gear that you have. Now, in Megan's, uh, you know, uh, uh, spot here as a, as a portrait photographer, she does interact with people. And, you know, she's one of the people who I got this idea that photography is more of a service than it is a product. And if you want to deliver a great service, that's that's kind of your product offering right there, you know, so it will help you to achieve better images by having a good relationship and, uh, you know, building that human connection with your subjects, because um, ultimately, if they like how they feel, they're going to like how they look. And if they like how they look, they're going to buy the photos. So uh, it may not be gear that's going to help you take a photo in a certain way, uh, but it sure does the exact same thing and a whole lot cheaper. So with that, let's get back into something that you can buy if you want. Uh, let's hear from Liza Roberts. My favorite piece of gear that's not a camera would have to be um, a simple uh, like diffusion filter. Uh, I have one that's like a 20%. Uh, it's called like a Cinebloom filter. And it just gives a really nice dreamy uh, vibe and mood to my fantasy work. Hey, Raymond here. If you're sometimes baffled by which camera settings to use, then I've got just the thing for you. My free guide, Picture Perfect Camera Settings. It's a fantastic starting point for anybody eager to understand the basics of camera settings in various shooting scenarios. And it's tailored to beginners who want to get out of auto mode, providing clear, easy to follow suggestions on where to start with your settings. So whether you're capturing a stunning landscape or a family portrait, Picture Perfect Camera Settings will help you to get off of automatic mode and explore the possibilities your camera offers. Remember, mastering photography settings is a journey, and this guide is your first step and the perfect resource to guide you towards finding the right settings for your style. So grab your copy today at perfectcamerasettings.com and start your journey to better photos. I remember when I was in film school, this was, um, 
towards the tail end of, uh, of, of being in film school, the, uh, the red camera came out and, uh, the red camera was, uh, like really one of the first, uh, I would say production quality 4k cameras, uh, you know, that had a, a PL mount so that you could mount proper cinema lenses on it. And, People were using it. Uh, this was really the camera that started the transition from cinema cameras away from film and on to digital. This is like the grandfather of, of digital uh, cinema cameras. And one of the things that I hated most about the camera was simply the image quality. It was great. <laughs> it was wonderful. It was, it was surgically sharp. And while that sounds uh, like a good thing, one of the things that I love so much about shooting on film, uh, which we did in in film school, um, was the imperfections. There's an element of what's going to happen. There's an element of surprise. There's an element of you don't really know exactly how it's going to look. You got a you got an idea, but you don't know exactly how it's going to turn out. And when something changes, when you see the final product, it is very, very cool. And there is a lot of nuance to it. Uh, it isn't surgically sharp. So uh, over the past few years, I know that a number of manufacturers have done the same thing for uh, still cameras, uh, is to create these um, diffusion filters for your lens. And essentially, imagine taking like a UV filter and just like the lightest amount of some sort of like aerosol spray onto it, uh, and then you put that on your lens. It just diffuses it just enough to where... You wouldn't notice it if you weren't looking for it, but you can definitely tell uh, in, you know, in the in these areas of, of, of light and high contrast that it just blurs it enough to where it does give it a bit of a, a softer, more organic uh, film look and takes away that uh, that clinical or surgical sharpness that uh, you often get with with digital. Um, and I used one. It wasn't the Cinebloom one. I had the Tiffin Black Pro Mist filter. Um, it was, um, I think I had the one that was half power. So close to, close to the 20% one that, uh, Liza here is talking about. I'll have links to both. They're, they're essentially the, the, the exact same thing. You achieve the, the same idea. But if you're looking for something, um, to give your images just a little bit more texture and, uh, personality, then having some sort of diffusion filter on your lens is a great way to introduce that for relatively cheap, definitely under under hundred bucks. I believe my uh, Tiffin Black Pro Mist was about forty dollars, so not uh, not 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 going to break the bank. Uh, unlike this next thing that we got here, possibly. So uh, why don't we go ahead and hear what Savannah Dodd's uh, favorite piece of gear is? Aside from my camera, my favorite piece of photography gear is probably my enlarger. So um, during lockdown, uh, my photography practice shifted quite a lot from being pretty much exclusively digital to pretty much exclusively analog. <laughs> so um, I've been doing a lot of experimentation with um, especially uh alternative and sustainable methods of darkroom development. And so I've gotten to know my enlarger very well. <laughs> Just in case you're wondering, a photo enlarger isn't necessarily a large printer, <laughs> but a, uh, a way to optically uh, magnify your 35 millimeter or 120 stills, uh, like the negatives, um, onto a larger sheet of development 
paper to make a, an optical print. These things are, to tell you the truth, they're actually not, they're not crazy expensive. Uh, they're probably about the price of a, uh, a printer. Um, I guess definitely cheaper than a photo printer, but uh, where they do get expensive is obviously you have a lot of tests to do because, well, it's that's like the nature of film. It's like you're shooting film, but in a in a dark room in the in a in a print rather than out on the streets, and um, you know just the amount of chemicals and 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 paper and again tests that you have to do to get these things going. It is um, it is a whole art in and of itself, and it can get pricey as with as with anything. It's funny because when I think of photography, um, I definitely think of being more behind the camera. And some of the people who I can think of who are really good um, makers of prints, I consider that an art in and of itself. I mean, truly, like when you think about it, you still have to deal with uh, timing. You still have to deal with light. You have to deal with filters, uh, color, all these things in making a print. It's not just you put in your slide, you press a button, and out comes a print. There is a lot, a lot, a lot to it. Uh, and it truly is an art in and of itself. So um, super cool. I would love to, you know, start getting into stuff like that. But honestly, I... Uh, I mean, that that's, that's just one more thing. That's like uh, getting much deeper down the rabbit hole. And maybe we'll see. Maybe, maybe you know, in the future. But uh, as for now, I'm going to stick to uh, uh, outsourcing my prints just to save my sanity for sure. Uh, so speaking of, uh, of art and controlling your image, uh, let's go ahead and hear what Amanda Thomas says is her favorite piece of gear. My favorite piece of gear that is not my camera is my five foot octobox it's huge it gives the most amazing soft lights it has double baffles on it and it has a, uh, a specular silver interior so if you take off the front baffle you can get sort of quite crisp light i also sometimes put on the egg crate on the front and you get this really directional oh it's amazing absolutely love it it's huge I can't always use it because some of the spaces that I'm shooting in, it won't fit. <laughs> <laughs> Who makes it? Um, oh, it's Profoto. Profoto. Profoto's, it's it's epic. It's a beast. I mean, the bag for it is huge, but I absolutely love it. Now, Amanda is a commercial photographer, um, and to her, light is uh, probably more important or plays a bigger role in her photography than most, as she definitely has to deal with, uh, you know, worrying about an image being printed or being displayed, represented properly, uh, you know, the uh, the colors being represented properly as well. Uh, so for her, using the best quality light and light modifiers is extremely important, and that is why she uses uh, Profoto and why she is such a, a huge proponent of using Profoto gear. They truly do make incredible stuff. Uh, and of course, that comes at a price tag. Now, if you are just getting started, I will say that uh, Profoto may be overkill for you. You know, I wouldn't give a Ferrari to a 15-year-old who just got their uh, learner's permit. Uh, but somebody who's been doing it for a number of years and relies on uh, their gear to make a living, yeah, I mean, it. it's... It, definitely makes sense. You know, the cost definitely makes sense. So I will have a link to this uh, five foot Octobox that uh, Amanda had mentioned, but I will also um, probably link to another version 
just in case you are looking for a large light source, um, but say uh, color rendition and, and light output consistency isn't uh, your number one priority and you're looking to just get into that. So again, uh, links for that will be in the show notes. Now let's hear uh, from Mark Fox, who um, shares something a little bit more uh, close to the camera on what his favorite piece of gear is. My favorite piece of photography gear that is not my camera, which is actually very difficult for me. I'm a very simple, I travel light. Um, I don't do too much of the big gear kind of stuff. Um, so I only typically travel with a camera and a couple of lenses um, and a flash. So aside from that, it would have to be, can I say a lens? So for a lens, it would be uh, my 100mm, my Canon 100mm macro 2.8. Uh, which is perfect for portrait lenses. It's lightweight and it's easy to travel with. If it's not a lens, then I would have to say my natural light, placing them in in their you know in their environment, but using window light, using the shade of the, the leaves or the trees, um, wherever they are, natural light has got to be the best gear for me. Having used the Canon 100mm uh, f2.8 uh, macro lens, I can tell you just how versatile it is. Uh, that was one of those lenses that uh, I saw it and I thought to myself, I don't even really use a macro lens for but like three photos at a wedding. Like I, I don't, I don't think that I can justify the price for that. But uh, after I had uh, rented it for a number of weddings, I had thought to myself, this is an incredibly versatile lens. There is so much that you can do with it because it's not only a macro lens, but uh, you can focus at a traditional distance. Um, and because it has the macro capability, it just opens up the world for different possibilities of things that you can do with the lens that you wouldn't be able to do with, you know, say a 70 to 200. Sure, it may not uh, have the have the zoom range, but man, the optical quality of the lens is phenomenal. And the um, flexibility that it has is also truly, truly incredible. So I'm going to have a link to that in the show notes um, as well. So if you want to check that out, I'll have a few different versions, you know, one for Canon, Nikon, you know, uh, I don't know if Sony has one, but Sony has so many adapters. I'll just link to the Canon and the, and the Nikon one. So with that, uh, we went with uh, a lens. Why don't we go ahead and hear from Gary Pope on what his favorite piece of gear is? Probably my favorite gear that's not my camera is probably my AD200. It's the first flash that I started using where I was just like, oh, this is how people make like Sports Illustrated <laughs> magazine photos and stuff like that. Um, and how you could truly do different things. Uh, the first time I fell in love with it absolutely was when I made a 3 p.m. in the afternoon photo look like it was at midnight. Freaking love that thing. Just to clarify, uh, Gary is talking about the Godox AD as in Alpha Delta 200, not 880-200, like a, like a 70-200 to 200, uh, lens, but an AD, Alpha Delta 200, which is a uh, strobe, which is a flash, um, not, not a lens. Uh, and these things are incredibly powerful. Uh, they are the size of just a speed light that you would put on your camera, but it doesn't have the articulating head. What it has is a giant capacitor inside and a rechargeable battery to fill up that capacitor 
and then the 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 light element inside rather than being the size of say a, a grain of you know rice like in a speed light is much larger maybe i don't know the size of a pea or something which doesn't seem like a lot larger but um you know compared in size to a grain of rice is considerably larger and what that means is the light output is intense so when he says that he was able to make uh, an image taken at 3 p.m look like it was taken at midnight that's because he set his camera settings to restrict almost all of the light so that it looks you know everything's dark but when he uses the godox ad 200 uh, it has enough power to illuminate his subject making them look like it was, you know, properly exposed during the sun. So uh, if you start getting into like studio portraiture and stuff, um, or like he said, Sports Illustrated uh, photos, and you start looking at those, you can see how uh, the background is underexposed. And you're like, how is this possible? You know, it's like uh, noon, like it's so bright outside. How does it look so dim? And you know, this person is so well exposed. That's exactly how it's a giant or very powerful light source like the AD2. And I say very powerful in the sense of like, compared to your flash, like that just goes on your camera. Um, there, there's definitely more powerful versions of lights, but I think for 99% of people, uh, it is just about as powerful as you will need to go. So uh, let's go ahead and continue on this, uh, you know, discussion of light and hear what Mika McCook says is her favorite piece of gear. What is my favorite piece of gear that is not my camera? Definitely my light meter. <laughs> really? You use a light meter yes. on set? Yeah, tell me about that. I do. I do. It is my favorite thing. I take it with me wherever I go. Where, if I'm in a restaurant, if I'm in a store, wherever I am, I love to use it just to see the different, you know, cameras, the light meter settings and and it's just cool to see what lighting situation is different. And I also have a vintage one um, that I found at an antique store and I bought it for 30 bucks and it's like from 1955. It took me a long time to figure out how to use because it's much different than the electronic kind, but it is my favorite piece of equipment with me. And it's also great if you're learning how to use your camera for the first time and, and you're in manual settings and you just really don't know. Yeah. So having a light meter is has been um, a saving grace for me as a photographer. There are two ways to bring home more money with your photography business. You either get more clients or you spend less of the money that you make. CloudSpot Studio helps you keep more of what you earn. With the lowest payment processing fees in the industry, the average photographer will save $300 annually. And that's just more money to invest in essential gear like a new flash or a sweet camera bag. You know, one that is perfect for storing all of the wedding day snacks that you can pack. But it's not just about savings. CloudSpot Studio is designed to streamline your workflow. Easily organize shoots, send contracts, questionnaires, invoices, and you're really going to enjoy the hassle-free payments. So sign up for a free CloudSpot account at deliverphotos.com. And as a bonus, you're going to get access to my exclusive wedding and portrait contracts and questionnaires at no additional cost. Why let fees chip away at your profits? Empower your photo journey with CloudSpot and watch your business soar.
you thought she was also going to list a light, didn't you? From what I said. Yeah. Um, no, a light meter. So a light meter, uh, if you don't know, I know that uh, many people don't have a need for a light meter uh, anymore because all digital cameras have a light meter built in. So uh, when you go to take a photo, let's say that you're in auto mode, the camera has to know what is a proper exposure so that it's not too bright or too dark. And the way that it does that is that it leads, leads, is that it reads the amount of light hitting the sensor. And then it changes its settings accordingly to properly expose that light. Well, um, many older film cameras back in the day did not have a light meter built into them. And therefore, you had to read the light yourself to know what the exposure should be. A light meter uh, is, uh, there's many different versions of them. I have one, uh, I had a Sconic 608C um, and I loved it to death. But once I got into weddings, I didn't really have a, a use for it. So I sold it. And then I kid you not, just like weeks later, I got asked to uh, to shoot a, uh, a short film on film and I needed an, a light meter. So I had to buy another one. But I bought the uh, Sconic uh, L308B if you want to check it out. Um, it's pretty cheap. It's about, um, I think it was about 160 bucks or something like that. Um, I don't, as you could hear from my um, uh, uh, surprise when I asked uh, Mika here, uh, there, there's, there's technically no need for a light meter anymore. But I will say that what it allows you to do is like if I, uh, where I'm at right here on my desk, if I take a light meter reading at ISO 400, it says to properly expose myself, I would need uh, an aperture of f2 at 1 60th of a second. Now, if I said, well, you know what, I actually have uh, my lens only goes to f4, then it automatically adjusts and says, great, well, then the proper exposure would actually be 1 15th of a second. And then if I say, yeah, well, my lens actually goes to f1.4, then it says also great, you know, um, also, uh, you would need a shutter speed of 1 125th of a second. So it, it's it, it can be a great teaching tool to to be able to read light, uh, to be able to see different stops of light as well, um, by reading it here on the light meter. And if you do get into shooting film on maybe a camera that doesn't have a light meter built in, and you don't want to waste your money by taking just like test shots, but you want to know um, how to properly expose the film, then a light meter is a great tool to have. Um, and man, nothing looks more professional than when you pull out a light meter and you take a reading and you're like, oh, okay. And then you make the adjustment on your camera and then you take the photo and then you look at the back of the camera and you're like, got it. <laughs> it's great. So it's petty, but you know, it's the, uh, it's the small things and you got to find joy in those things. So, uh, with that, why don't we go ahead and move on to Anya Pullman, who's, who shares her favorite piece of gear. This one will not be in the show notes. If I had to pick a, gear, a kind of gear that's not my camera that's the favorite or that's what I use most it's literally my 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 brain because I only use a camera and a lens I don't use any modifiers so I would say my brain and the way I see things is probably the most used thing for me when when doing photography <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, Anya's brain uh, could not find on Amazon and therefore is not in the show notes. But uh, I think that it brings up a, a very good point. You know, you don't really need a lot of gear. You know, you can be a photographer who produces images that you love, that make an impact on others uh, with just your brain and your creativity and asking yourself, you know, uh, how can I make this the best photo that it can be? 
And there's something really um, freeing, something very liberating about showing up with very little kit, being just one camera, one lens, and that's it. And whatever happens in front of you, you got to make it work. Uh, I've done that many a times. And in fact, whenever we go on like a family vacation, that's exactly what I'll do. Um, if I don't bring like my Fuji X-Pro2, I'll just bring a GoPro and say, well... That's it. I'm going to take the best photos that I can with this GoPro um, because I have been in situations where I've brought the the GoPro, the X-Pro2, and then for some reason also a Fuji X-T4, and then all of the lenses, and then several film cameras, and also a drone. And when you leave the house, you think to yourself, well, I'm not going to bring all this stuff with me, so what am I going to bring right now? And there's this decision fatigue that you have that can be overwhelming. Uh, and that doesn't make photography fun. So sometimes just limiting yourself and really trusting your brain and asking, how am I going to make this the best photo that I can with what I got right now can truly make you a better photographer. So I love that, Anya. Thank you so much. Now, uh, next up, let's go ahead and hear from Harry Skaggs. Because aside from my camera, I think the most important piece of gear is not really gear, but I think the most important thing for a wildlife photographer is, is knowledge of uh, body language and behavior. You know, we are working in a world where we are trying to take images in split seconds. If you just have a little bit of understanding about what might happen next, it gives you just a little bit of forewarning as to as to that um, scene unfolding. And that just gives you just, just a little bit more time to make a good photograph. Um, so I think it's important, you know, studying your subjects. Harry shoots wildlife, lots of wildlife. And and for him, uh, being able to read body language, uh, as he said, is extremely important because the last thing that you want to do is put yourself in a situation where you don't realize that this animal is upset with you and it decides to take action <laughs> against you rather than allow you to photograph it. And when you can read body language and you can tell that what it is that you're doing is making a animal uncomfortable, you can adjust and make, you know, do things that make them more comfortable. And as they get more comfortable, well, now you can, you know, get closer. You can, um, you know, interact in a way that can allow you to get whatever shot that you want is to build that trust with the animal. So, uh, you know, sometimes again, it's not about gear, but it's knowing how to get the photo that you want. I can't imagine any piece of gear that would allow him to achieve that result other than just personally knowing how to read the body language of animals. So in that sense, there's nothing more valuable than like there's no piece of gear that can replace what he does. Yeah. So uh, with that, let's go ahead and end this with uh, what Tavia Redburn says is her favorite piece of gear. I mean, I have to say my speed light. I could not photograph birth without, or even day-to-day -day life without my speed light. Like being able to control the lighting on the go and not have to rely only on available light, 100% my speed light. Tavia shoots births in hospitals, and hospitals have notoriously bad um, lighting for photography. Uh, good lighting for medical stuff, but bad lighting for photography. So being able to control her light is extremely important to be able to 
have a, a higher quality image that doesn't just rely on overhead light producing very strange shadows, uh, but does allow her to capture something more um, creative, more, uh, you know, uh, to the level of, of, of quality that she is after. Now, she didn't mention a specific speed light uh, in uh, right there, but I will link to a speed light that I've used for a number of years and uh, others have as well uh, that you can pick up. It's a manual flash speed light and it is uh, relatively cheap where where like I say a uh, uh, first party flash could cost for $500. Uh, buying a manual flash only costs, you know, under $100 and are extremely uh, versatile. So like I said, I will link to that and everything else that guests mentioned that is purchasable, <laughs> I will link uh, in the show notes. So feel free to check these things out. You know, I, I, I started this thing off by saying that, you know, sometimes the gear doesn't matter. Don't let it hold you back because you don't have the gear to get the shot that you, you know, that you think that you the shot that you want that you think that you have to have a certain piece of gear to get. I would always encourage you to try with what you have right now because oftentimes you're going to get a result that's better than, you know, you think that it would be. Um, but also uh, it forces you to try something new as a photographer, to to stretch uh, and push your creative brain um, and, you know, give it some flexibility, uh, which is only only a good, good thing. But at the same time, uh, gear, it does matter. You know, it does matter. I have my Fuji X-Pro2, which is older than my daughter, who, you know, is now in a, uh, she's going into third grade. You know, why? Why, why, do, why do I still have this thing? There are newer cameras. There are much better cameras than it. Why do I still have it? Um, and the answer is, I really like it. I really like using the camera. Um, I really feel like it gets me. Are there things that I don't like about it? Sure. But it is the most connected to a camera that I have felt um, ever. And very close to the uh, to the Fuji X100V that I had for a, uh, a year and a half or so before I sold right before prices. I mean, literally doubled. It is insane, the price of an X-Pro or an X100V these days any of the X100 series cameras. But anyway, that that, uh, that doesn't matter. Um, when I, um, I, if I go out and shoot, I will always choose the X-Pro2 because I love it. Um, I have an X-T4, which is technically a better camera, um, but I use that one more for video. And even though it's a, it's a, it produces a, a better, um, you know, quality image, there, there's more options, um, much faster autofocus than my expert two. I always choose the expert two because it matters to me. So uh, what I'm saying here is that while gear doesn't matter in the sense that you shouldn't let it hold you back from at least going for the photo that you want to get, it does matter in the sense that if you have something that you like to use, it really does make a big big difference in in your photography because when you like to go out and shoot you're going to do it more you know so when it comes time to deciding if you actually need a piece of gear i think for me what it comes down to is for me image quality isn't everything for me uh, being able to capture the moment is everything being so and 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 there's that quote you know uh, 90% of success is just showing up so for me the most important thing is to have a camera that I enjoy 
caring that I will want to bring with me places so that I will be encouraged to shoot the things that I like, the moments that are important to me and, and my family and, you know, my kids, my friends and my life. And there, in, in that sense, the gear does matter. I have um, bought gear before that, you know, I tried to save some money on it and maybe I bought a, a, a lower quality version and it just didn't. No, you know what? I take that back because then it sounds like, you know, if you buy a, a, a low quality product, of course, you're going to hate it. I have bought um, very expensive um, tools for photography um, that I just hated to use. Did it work well? Yeah, sure. Yeah, it did. You know, but was it, you know, 10 times better than than what I could have got elsewhere? Uh, no. You know, take take take, for example, the 85 millimeter 1.2 from Canon. It's like two thousand dollars. You know, I didn't buy it. I rented it for a number of weddings because I it was it was the lens that every wedding photographer said you have to have in your bag. And I shot with it. And all that I could think of was, man, this thing is heavy. Man, this autofocus is slow. Man, the difference between F.1 and F.2 at anything more than like 15 feet away really isn't noticeable at all. So I'm just carrying this extra heavy, uh, slow lens around with me all day. This doesn't work for me. This doesn't make me want to shoot. And I traded it in for the 85 millimeter 1.8 lens that cost only $300 from Canon. And I loved it. I shot with it all the time because it encouraged me to shoot. It helped me to get the photos that I wanted to get for my style of photography. So figure out what that is for you. And there, I've, I've shared it before, you know, uh, Adam Savage has, has shared the advice of uh, whatever you buy, buy the cheapest thing that you can. Um, if it breaks because you used it a lot, then go ahead and buy the more expensive version of it. But if it doesn't break and you realize that you don't use it that much, uh, then now you didn't waste all that money on buying the more expensive thing. And if it doesn't break and you use it all the time, then now you just saved yourself a bunch of money. So I try to follow that rule. I don't always, I'm not always very good at that, but uh, I do try to follow it as much as I can. And it has proved helpful. So uh, when it comes to gear, you know, that's, that's, that's kind of my spiel right there. Uh, get something that's going to work for you. Uh, that's going to encourage you to shoot more and get the photos that you want to get. Not just because somebody talked about it on a podcast or, uh, you know, I'm not encouraging everybody to go out and buy a photo enlarger. I'm not encouraging everybody to go out and buy a five foot octobox. I don't have a five foot octobox. It wouldn't work for my style of photography, but if that is important to you and you would use it all the time, then it's worth it then buy it. Then <laughs> you can't afford not to buy it. Get it. So that's it, right? Uh, as I said earlier, all of the uh, products that are purchasable will be found in the show notes of this episode. Uh, so feel free to check them out. And I would also love what is I would also love to know what is your favorite piece of gear that is not your camera and not your lens. Oh, now that I think about it, Mark Fox mentioned a lens. That cheater right there. No, I'm just kidding. I should have, I should have mentioned that or noticed that before. Funny. Anyway, I would love to know what your favorite piece of photography gear is that is not your camera. Uh, you can join in on the conversation about gear in the beginner photography podcast community. It is free and private. Uh, feel free to join us. We would love to have you. Uh, just head over to beginnerphotopod.com forward slash group right now to join. So that is it. Remember, until next week, the more that you shoot today, the better of a photographer you will be tomorrow. Talk soon. 
Thank you for listening to the Beginner Photography Podcast. Keep shooting, and we'll see you next week. Thank you.